Where's the makeup artist today? It's <laughs> no makeup artist. Budget me. doesn't allow it yet. <laughs> Chris, the Wolf Thompson, thanks for coming in. Um, and welcome back. You've just come back from Russia. I know the result didn't go your way, but tell us a bit more about the experience and what's it like out there in Russia, especially yeah, these days. Yes, yes. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a great honor to be on your show. Uh, yeah, I just came back from Russia. I actually fought last week, Tuesday. Uh, it was a great fight. Uh, if it had happened anywhere else in the world, I, I would have won the fight. Uh, easily six rounds to two. Unanimous being, decision. Yeah, if you're being very difficult, five rounds to three. Mm. Um, but obviously the fight happened in Russia, in his hometown, with only Russian judges and officials. So unfortunately, he got the result. Great performance. Uh, I had fun. Uh, I was expecting a bit of a harder fight, if I'm honest. I mean, uh, the guy that I fought, Evgeny Romanov, knocked out Deontay Wilder, uh, took Kudrashov the distance. He's number 49 in the world. He's no slouch, this guy. Yeah, so it was a serious fight. I took it very seriously. But, uh, you know, I beat him. Look, officially I lost, but on anywhere else in the world, I would have won the fight. Um, so I had a great time. It was, uh, you know, very risky going down to Russia now in these times. Um, but also I wanted to take that risk. I wanted to experience that experience, you know, go fight a Russian in Russia yeah. while something like what is happening is happening. You know, it's just an experience that you can't buy. Is so. there noise around... Or is that sort of propaganda machine just like shuts it all down? So you don't even know there's a war in Ukraine at the moment? No, to be honest with you, I thought that was going to be the situation. Uh, I thought that people wouldn't be talking about the war. You wouldn't be made aware of it at all. But to be honest with you, the Russian people are pretty unhappy about the war. Obviously, the economy is taking a huge dive at the moment. And also, there's all kinds of restrictions. You know, They can't travel anywhere. If you're a Russian and you have a Russian passport, they're not allowing you in anywhere. You know, The rest of the world is blocking it off. So... You know, it's just crazy times. Man. And I mean, the vibe, as you said, people aren't happy there. But you were telling me just before we started the show, um, like no social media works at all there. No, nothing. So obviously they've put, uh, the rest of the world has put sanctions on Russia. So like you won't find McDonald's, you won't find any other like external big company in Russia itself. And when we landed, uh, no social media worked. Even if you were on their Wi-Fi, you couldn't access uh, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, because you want to put a selfie up. Or, nothing. Or yeah, I see, what do they call it these yeah, days? Yeah, you, <laughs> you can't access anything. That's even crazy. On, even on their Wi-Fis. Obviously, they pick up that uh, you're in Russia and uh, their sanctions just block it off. So Mad. we had no access to anything. And then, like uh, a week in, one of the Russian guys said to us, no, download this uh, VPN link. And uh, we downloaded it. Social media worked for maybe 20 minutes. Then, obviously, the government picked up that you're using a VPN <laughs> and they block you again. That's mad. Yeah, so it was crazy. How were you received in Russia? Because uh, the the executive producer, he likes that title, Ray, of the show, went to Moscow for the FIFA World Cup in 2018, and he absolutely loved it. I know it was a different time altogether, but he says they're quite a strange bunch, all sort of getting on with their own, but the place itself is quite beautiful. Yeah, look, it's not my first time in Russia. Uh, I've been there before. I really enjoyed it, enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it this time as a country. You know, to be honest, I wasn't uh, really received very welcomely because obviously I'm fighting their guy. Uh, you know, they play little tricks on you. So I jumped in a taxi, and this taxi knew exactly where we were going, but he took 
a roundabout. It took him like an hour and a half <laughs> to get to my hotel, which was literally like 15 minutes away from the airport. Oh, man. So it's, obviously, we're not knowing. Eventually, I just say to him, like, bro, where are you going? You need to take me to my hotel. Like, this is the hotel name. So he just, knew you were there to fight their guy. Yeah, 100%. Oh, wow. Their taxi picked me up and, and literally took me on a roundabout drive for like an hour and 45 minutes. And the reason why I picked up on it is because I realized we had circled the same block like four times. <laughs> then eventually I said to him, bro, what are you doing? Like, we're going around in, literally in circles. Bro. Just take me to my hotel. Obviously, it's after a long 19-hour travel. They just want to mess you around and get in your head. So eventually I had to trip the guy like, if you don't take me to my hotel, just pull over and I can actually see my hotel over there and I'll walk there. And then he took us there. So it was quite experience. And in terms of the build-up and the preparations, obviously you have to get acclimatized, um, just different time zones, that sort of thing. Give us a sort of an idea of what's it like just sort of preparing for a fight like that. You are the guy that no one wants to see beat their fellow Russian um, is it difficult getting a space to, to train in and are the gyms quite hostile or what's it like? Um, to be honest with you, RCC, the promotion company that we went with, oh, they're really big. German Titov is a very good promoter, to be honest with you. They hosted us really well. Um, I must say that uh, whenever we wanted to go to their gym, they, they hosted us time in their gym and they actually allowed us to go to an empty gym. Obviously, they had eyes watching us, which is usual. So like uh, his coach watched every session that I did. And he only came in for the sessions that I did and left as soon as I left. So we knew what they were up to, but uh, they were very hospitable. They transported us from the hotel to the gym and, and back. And if we wanted to go anywhere, they did uh, transport us and take us to the gym and make the gym available for us. Yeah. The nice thing was that they didn't allow other people. We trained by ourselves, but uh, we had guys watching us what we were doing, you know, then picking up on a game plan, doing what they can. I mean, if they're hosting you, they're going to try and manipulate the situation as much as possible. I suppose it's also difficult to hide game plans and shield them because at the end of the day, you, you kind of have to sort of go through those drills because you know what you're up against, right? So how do you? I mean, or do you just do it and say, well, on the night, it's, it's the night? Yeah, 100%. There was no hiding of anything. We, like you said, we actually can't afford to because we need to draw what we're going to do in the fight. Mm. So we didn't hide anything. You know, the fight is the fight. What they watch and what they're able to manipulate and counter from watching it are two different things you know uh, you can prepare as hard as you well want as long as i'm doing what i should be doing and i'm doing it well i'm gonna beat you and like i said i believe i did and are you loving boxing at the moment is it still burn that that fire in your belly i know i say that often but it's what gets you out of bed in the morning you know like this the show for example helps me get out to the gym and then get in it just gives me an, uh, a sort of more motivation to get through the day, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, is that the same for you with boxing? Look, uh, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Uh, I really do love what I do. Um, and I think you would have to love what you do, especially when you put in the amount of hours and put your life on the line. If you don't enjoy it, get out the game because you're going to get hurt. You know, uh, It is a very dangerous sport. Any combat sport is a very dangerous sport. So if you don't enjoy it and you don't enjoy the hard yards and the, the hard training and the bleeding and the sweating and training, like, just stop what you're doing because you're going to get hurt when you go to a fight and it could uh, have serious repercussions yeah. for your family for yourself so yeah you know i really i do enjoy what i do uh, i love what i do and uh, i wouldn't want to be doing anything else because it literally is blood sweat and tears like that's the epitome of boxing for me it's blood sweat and tears right yeah 100 percent. sometimes more tears than blood sometimes <laughs> more blood than tears it depends on the day you know it's not easy uh, it's really not an easy job. Uh, and a lot of people uh, don't see, you know, I saw, uh, 
I believe it was Kamara Usman after he lost to Leon Edwards on the weekend. I saw Great him. fight. Yo, wow, what a fight. Um, I saw what he said, and a lot of people don't understand it, and they just see athletes just saying it. You know, He left his child for 12 weeks, brand new. His child's one years old. He left his child for 12 weeks to go train to have a 25-minute fight. Yeah. So, you know, the same is true for boxing. You know, we give up 10, 12 weeks of our lives for... 12 round fight is 36 minutes and a lot of people don't see the sacrifices that we put in before the all these bright lights come on and and you actually get to show time which is to be honest with you the funnest part of all of it yeah the camp is terrible <laughs> yeah that's not the fun part at all <laughs> give us an idea of your your day currently so let's say you're building up like this uh um romano fight Give us an idea of what your camp looked like in terms of your day. Yeah, so Monday to Thursday, I train three times a day. So from Monday to Thursday, every four times a week, I train three times. Then Friday, I train twice. And Sunday, I train once. And that's not always sparring, right? I mean, you're hitting no, pads so in between. The, the, the sparring is obviously slotted in there. But yeah, so say the, the camp is 10 weeks, right? Yeah. I would say for the first four weeks, there's no sparring. It's just getting fit, getting sharp. And then the last... Six weeks they're sparring, which is three times a week. Monday, Wednesday, Friday we spar. Um, but other than that, you know, in the morning I'll do my strength and conditioning. Then I'll have a conditioning, like which is normally either strength. Two, I have two days of strength. Uh, Monday and Wednesday is a strength, and Friday is conditioning, a hard conditioning session. And then in between that, after my session on a Monday, I'll go do boxing midday, and then in the evening I'll have a conditioning, either run, air bike, ski bike, something like that. All those fun things. <laughs> yeah, look, you're lying to yourself if you say it's Yeah, fun, no, it's, it's in a way. It's just part of the journey. But you're you know? a professional athlete. You know you have to, that 1% every session is something you have to strive for. You, you know is, that. Which is actually probably what people don't understand. You know, if you, if you miss one session, you're behind. And, uh, you know, especially in the fight game, if you miss a session, it's gonna, you're going to be exposed in the ring big Absolutely. time. Absolutely. I mean, especially with cardio, uh, whatever it is, strength conditioning, if it's sparring, yeah. in other words, don't miss a session. Yeah. You look, <laughs> I always say to guys, you know, if I can get you tired in a fight, I'm going to knock you out. Yeah. And anybody who's fought or who has been in the ring at any level knows, as soon as you get tired, you're going to go to sleep. Absolutely. Someone's going to knock you out. Um, let's talk about sort of that camp and the building up to it mentally. You have to be in tune too. That that sort of people talk about of the the inner dialogue, like with yourself, because you're sitting on the air bike, you're pumped, you've had a rough week. You don't want to be there, but you know you have to be there because this is the sport you've chosen. Yeah, look, I'll be honest with you. If I'm speaking really honestly, especially towards the the end of the camp, I would say the last two and a half, three weeks are they're a real drag. You know, you have to pull yourself out of bed. You got to get yourself to those sessions because. If you don't, you're not going to peak at the right time and you won't peak correctly. Um, but I would say that inner battle with yourself is probably the biggest battle that you, you have because it's not only about going to the session, it's about doing the session at 100%. You know, As a professional athlete, you've got to do every session like it's your last session. And uh, that's where the, you know those little differences come in, in, in on the night is in camp. How dedicated were you? You know, If you have a 25-minute assault bike session did you do 22 minutes yeah or did you do 25 yeah. or did you, you, you and it sounds funny but that minute and a half makes a difference um, did you stay according to your heart rate zones did you eat correctly mm. did you hydrate correctly did you sleep enough 
you know, all those things in human performance make a major, major difference. And uh, to have that battle every day with yourself when you're tired to get out of bed is what, you know, you got to just do things, discipline over yeah. everything. Let's talk about the eating because in your weight division, the big boys, um, the heavyweights, obviously you still have to watch what you eat. There's not s smashing the fast food and that sort of thing. It's, it's putting fuel into your body, but... I imagine you guys consume quite a bit more than us mere mortals. <laughs> yeah, look, I'll be honest with you. I, I eat so much food. Eh? So and, give uh, us an idea of what your, your day's food looks like. Look, I'm very, very blessed to have a company that sponsors my, my meals now, Munch Measured Meals. They sponsor my food. Uh, I wake up by hopper six. Of, well, it depends on the day. You know, if I have an early session, normally by six o'clock, I've eaten my first meal. Then I'll go and do my strength session at eight. And when I come back, I'll have my second meal. And then that's my second breakfast, really. Mm -hmm. So by like 9.30, I've had my second breakfast. And then by 11.30, I have a third meal to power me up for my boxing at midday. Then I'll box. I'll come back. I'll have a large meal, probably 1,600 calories, 2,800 calories to refeed all the calories that I just burned in yeah. boxing. And then I'll wait about an hour and have my fifth meal. <laughs> then I'll go and do my training session. And then directly after my, my training session, I'll have a high-protein meal. Not much carbs, just to refuel the muscles. Um, and then afterwards, I'll have dinner. So normally Monday to Sunday, six meals a day. So what's... Six, six to eight meals. So when you are... What, what does dinner look like? I mean, are we talking tomahawk steaks and like that sort of thing or what are we we're looking at for dinner for example uh look dinner normally I, I try and have a like a high protein high carb meal so normally i have uh, beef with uh, like lentils and rice and vegetables and things like that um or i'll have like a chicken pasta or like you said i'll have a tomahawk steak with rice so okay. look i don't really I, i'm very strict with what i eat so i don't really ever eat unhealthy obviously Sometimes on a Sunday, you know, Sunday catches up to you and you have a pizza and you pay for it on Monday. Yeah. You don't understand, like, people don't understand, you know, like, uh, you get a lot of people saying, oh, but you're so genetically blessed and this and that, but it's not the case, you know. If I eat unhealthy, I'm like any other human. I, I get unhealthy and I can feel it on a Monday. If I, I love pizza, I'm not going to lie to you. I love a pizza or a burger. Just, just, don't, just don't do the pineapple thing. No, I don't no, do no, the okay. pineapple thing. Well, you can stay. Yeah, you I don't can do stay. the pineapple thing. Pineapple on pizza should be outlawed. Or any cooked pineapple <laughs> should be outlawed. I do agree with you. Okay, so pizza's your cheat meal sort of thing. If, and if I have it, I feel yeah. slow on a Monday. Like, Amazing. Eh? Like, And you can actually see it. So my strength and conditioning coach, we do a CNS test before every session so that you can know you might feel great, like physically in your body, you might feel great, but your central nervous system could be doing something else. Sure. It could be re really low. And I've done it, and I can tell you for a fact, if I eat pizza on a Sunday, my CNS is lower on a Monday. Jeez. And I cannot operate to the numbers that I normally operate if I just eat clean. Yeah. And I've done it, and I've tested it, and it's it's just a blatant fact. Because we've all seen The Rock's Instagram was famous for his cheat meals. And yeah. I mean... That is like crazy. I know, look, you get, you're a professional athlete. He's a professional actor, but he used to be a professional athlete. I'm just saying, you guys have to stick within those margins. I don't, I don't think people realize how fine this, the science is, you know, that goes into what you consume to put fuel so you can operate at those numbers. Yeah, look, obviously all these guys that post their cheat meals on Instagram are very clever. They don't show you what they eat in the week. Yeah. You know, uh, there is a scientific purpose for a cheat meal. 
for your hormones, for your glycogen levels, for your sugar levels, for insulin levels, all kinds of things like that. So when people hear cheat meal, they don't they just think unhealthy food, yeah. but they don't understand the phase that it has in your diet or where it should be in your diet. It shouldn't be a thing that you're doing every week. It should be monitored, should be seen when you you're doing it. And obviously all these guys that just sit in the gym and like work on their muscles, it's a, it's a completely different thing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah, that's that's a way different thing. But in terms of uh, your career now, I know you you've just lost two in a row, um, and there's this sort of thing that's circulating in the media about the curse of the heavyweight title. Have you heard of this? I have. I, yeah. I mean, because uh, unfortunately you you surrendered it to to Keaton Gomes, uh, but like it's this whole thing of in two years, there's been several different heavyweight champions. Yeah. Is it something you pay attention to? Or is, look, Keaton's a good guy. He's, he's a talented young boxer. Um, but I'm sure that you two will meet again at some point. Yeah, look, I'll be honest with you. if he's got the title, yeah. you know, if the curse continues. To be honest with you, so Keaton and I are actually fighting on the same night on the 13th of May. Okay, okay. Um, so obviously they're trying to groom that to happen. You know, sure. They're trying to groom for him and I to fight each other again. Um, I'll be honest with you. So Keaton is actually fighting Josh Petorius, the guy That's who right. I took the title from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I believe that Keaton will win and he'll retain his title. Um, I don't believe there's a curse of the heavyweight title. What people don't understand is it's heavyweight boxing. So one punch changes the whole fight. You know, When I fought Keaton, he landed a really good punch very early into round one. And uh, I made a mistake and I shot back up to my feet. I shouldn't have done that. I should have taken my 10 seconds, gathered myself properly, moved for the next one or two rounds and got my legs back under me because I am a better boxer than what he is. He's a, he, I'll be honest with you, he's a better puncher than I am. Um, I'm not saying that I don't have punching power, but he is a better puncher than what I am, but I'm a much better boxer than what he is. Um, so look, on, on that night, he, he was the better man, uh, and he beat me, but I don't think there's a curse, you know. I don't think there's, I think you, you curse to your work, you know, that you are your own curse. If you put in the work, uh, if you don't put in the work, you will be cursed. If you don't, if you put in the work, you'll be all right, you know. So I also don't believe in luck. There is, he didn't land a lucky punch. Obviously, he placed that punch there. And if he meant to knock me down or he didn't mean to knock me down, he did. And that's just the nature of the sport, you know. Listen, he spars against Kevin Lorena, uh, you know, week in, week out. Uh, and we know what, what Kevin's done. And we'll, we'll get to, I want to get your thoughts on, on the heavyweight because what the heavyweights bring, they're the prize fighters. Like, with all due respect to the other weight divisions, when there's a heavyweight fight, Tyson Fury is top of the bill, or it's Deontay Wilder, yeah. even Anthony Joshua. Man, Usyk, all due respect, it's headline. It's box office. And I think there comes a pressure with that for you guys to deliver because you are naturally heavyweights. Yeah, look, obviously there's a saying in boxing that the heavyweights are the glamour division, you know. And uh, it is what it is. If there's two heavyweights headlining the bill, no one cares about what's below. Yeah. Even the spectators. They don't even watch the fights before. <laughs> when you have two heavyweights in the ring, the people are watching because they know that anything can happen when two big guys fight each other. Also, like, I think if you've ever sat in a crowd and you can feel the difference between a super middleweight, which is a pretty decent guy, or yeah. we even take a light heavyweight, you know, which is a pretty big guy, mm. and then you get a heavyweight step in the ring, 
I think the intensity is a whole lot, yeah. a whole lot different. You know, heavyweights when we hit each other, we we really we can rattle you at any stage, and uh, you can actually feel the pressure from the punches outside of the ring. You know, whereas the smaller guys in the ring, you, you just hear it. It just yeah. sounds like peepee shooters. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> it but does. whereas when the bigger guys get in, you can feel the impact even outside the ring. You can feel the way we're hitting each other. Yeah. And I think people are drawn into that, you know. Yeah, it's, it's it's that's the show business of boxing. Let's be honest. I've always always asked guys this: when you take that first shot, right? You know, the, it's the it's the cliche saying everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth or whatever. But I've always thought like when you get punched in the nose and you take that first jab, for example, does it stun you or is it a case of like, shabbat, I'm in a fight, you know? Because some guys need that to switch on. Are you one of those guys or are you already in the zone when you get in there? Look, I used to be one of those guys and I think this is true for a lot of fighters. When you are younger on in your career, obviously I've had a, my 18th fight coming up, you know. I would say maybe your first 10 fights, you need that that initial like impact between yeah. the two guys. It's like in to, rugby, a tackle. You, yeah, you, to realize like, oh wait, yeah, yeah, shit, yeah. I'm in here. Yeah. This guy's trying to hit me. <laughs> like what's going on? But as you get older, you you know what to expect, you know. Uh, I'll be honest with you, when I when I get tagged, you know there's always a difference between getting tagged with a punch you see and getting tagged with a punch you don't see. The punch you see, you kind of absorb, you don't even acknowledge it, you don't know about yeah. it. But when I get tagged with a punch I don't see and I can feel the impact, I always swear at myself. I'm like, come on, Chris. You should, yeah, yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> Can't take another one of those. You know, you, you just got to gotta be aware that in the fight game, you got to win every situation, you know. Uh, and those are such fine lines at heavyweight. So is that a constant conversation you're having with yourself? You're standing there, you're, you're southpaw, because uh, that also changes the angles. You also have to think differently yeah. in a way with an orthodox guy. But are you constantly having these conversations Always. with yourself? Well, <laughs> you, you have no idea. You know, actually, I'm going to tell you a little funny story. You know, before I fought this guy in Russia, uh, I just said to my, like I said on, a, I, I have a little family group. I said on the family group, before I left for the venue, I said, don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fuck this Russian sausage up. And uh, my brother-in-law sent a, quite a funny meme of a guy hitting a Russian sausage. And it just stuck with me in my head. And before every round I went out, I just said to myself, fuck this Russian sausage. <laughs> and uh, I'm at my best when I'm thinking, you know, like, yeah. any, like anybody in the world. You know, when you're thinking to yourself or when you're operating and when you're in that flow state and you you understanding and conscious of where you are, mm. I think that's when you're dangerous at anything you do. Um, let's just rewind a little bit because boxing, uh, you, you alluded to, was it's obviously your passion now, but it's not your first rodeo in professional sports circles. Yeah. Uh, tell us about your swimming. Like, How did that come about? Look, uh, I'll be honest with you, swimming has actually been the sport I've done the longest in my life. Uh, I started swimming at the age of five, uh, very competitively. At the age of six, I was swimming for Gauteng. Okay. And, uh, at and the, through school and yeah, at the okay. age of seven, I broke my first South African record. Wow, I was what seven stroke years old. was that? Freestyle. Okay, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, at seven, I broke my first South African record. Uh, and then you know, I got pretty serious into swimming throughout my whole schooling career, uh, up until matric. Literally, I went to uh, South African nationals, swam at the South African nationals, medaled. Came for got a couple of golds, couple of silvers. I can't remember exactly. So it was Olympics or Commonwealth Games something yeah. you were like aspiring to? Yeah, hundred percent. And then uh, came back and like just the amount of hours I'd put into the sport. I came back uh, from uh, South African nationals and I never swam again. 
What? I just lost the love for the sport completely. Because of swimming. People don't understand. How lonely is swimming, man? Not just lonely. Like, um, remember I was six, six, seven years old. Yeah. I was in the pool twice a day, between four and five hours every day until I was 17. Jeez. So, you know, that, that decade just, and it, it took away my social life in school. So I, I was, weekends was gala time and weekdays, four, four o'clock I was in the pool, four to hopper six, would jump in the shower, shower, head to school. If I needed to leave school, it would always be for swimming. And then uh, decided in matric, now I, I, I couldn't swim anymore. I was just completely, I lost the love for the sport. Is that where the rugby started yeah, taking then I started effect? Playing, yeah, then I started playing rugby in matric. Um, so late bloomer, eh? Yeah. I mean, in South Africa, 100%. if you're not running around at five or six with a rugby ball or yeah, cricket yeah. bat or football. So what happened to me was uh, then I started, I uh, said to myself, uh, let me take this rugby thing a little bit seriously. I went uh, to Craven Week. So you were this, well, I mean, I'm not this size, but you were a big boy in matric, I imagine. Yeah, I was big. Okay. Yeah, I was big. Okay. I was about, a, I was actually about my size now. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. I was about 110. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was, I was actually, luck. I was big then. Then uh, I uh, went to Craven Week. I played uh, Craven Week. And then after Craven Week, straight after Craven Week, I got started uh, from the Sharks. Okay. I went on to play uh, Carry Cup for the Sharks. Yeah. I played on the 19 Carry Cup for the Sharks. And then uh, I moved to the Bulls and moved to Turks. I played uh, Varsity Cup for Turks. Varsity Cup's a cool competition, eh? Oh, man, what a time, eh? And uh, you know what's crazy? Let me, let me blow your mind quickly. My strength and conditioning coach was my strength and conditioning coach when I played for Turks. Oh, wow. Okay. And that's how him and I had that introduction of uh, each other. Is uh, He was my strength and conditioning coach when I played for the Bulls and for Turks. And, uh, man, if you know him, he's crazy. <laughs> But he's so educated, you know. Give and a shout out. Come on, give a shout out. Here we go. He's uh, my strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, and he's very uh, so well respected. That's where him and I uh, crossed paths. And actually now in Russia, he said to me, you know, who would have believed that when you walked into my gym as a rugby player, you know, years down the line, we would be in Russia and you'd be a pro fighter. Nobody would have believed us if we told him that. That's a cool story. Do you miss rugby? Because, I mean, if I look at rugby these days, like... It's intense, man. Like we were down at the Sharks you know, two or three weeks ago interviewing Neil Powell and he sort of had to assume that, uh, well, he was director of rugby and then had to suddenly jump into head coach and that. But it just seems like the levels of our rugby seem to be getting higher with each sev like season. Look, I'll be honest with you. Those guys, if there's 52 weeks in a year, they must be playing close to 40 weeks in yeah. a year. It, it's it's crazy what they put their bodies through. And it's crazy that the demand of professional rugby is at that level. What I do miss about uh, rugby is the the community, you know. Sure. Uh, also, what I don't miss about rugby is the community because there's a lot of space to hide on the field, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, I don't like losing. I don't believe many pro athletes do like losing. But when you lose because other guys aren't up to standard, man, that used to drive me mad. Sure. Um, I also miss, uh, I think uh, rugby is a lot less intense than what boxing is. Like uh, I was discussing it, you know, and it's it's a fact worldwide. Uh, rugby's got a big drinking culture before yeah. and after games. It's crazy how much these guys like. You would think these days that it's it's not a thing. It's like huge. I know South African sports, especially in, in cricket and rugby uh, and other sports, there is, there is a drinking culture, but it's obviously taking shape in a way where some guys are just not drinking at all they're like shelving it during their careers 
But I, I get the feeling rugby has not changed much. No, rugby hasn't changed. Uh, <laughs> you know, especially if these guys are winning championships the night they win championships or not win games. They're, they're having big We're not talking meetings. about one beer here. No, no, cases, cases, yeah, cases, yeah, yeah, and yeah. cases and cases of beer. And uh, the teams get delivered those cases, yeah. you know, uh, after the game in the changing room. Before they've had a shower, they, they're drinking a beer, which is, you know, if you think about it, for your body, it's just crazy. Yeah. You know, not good. Um, but it's fun, you know, and uh, the, I think that's the enjoyment of playing rugby is you get this little community around you that I either you lose with, which is great, because when you lose in boxing, you lose alone. Yeah. No one messages you no, when you lose. No. <laughs> At least when you lose as, a, you know, whatever, the Sharks rugby team, you lose with the other 23 yeah. players, and that's all right. And there's training on Monday. The yeah. sun's going to come up, and the next game's there. 100%. Whereas boxing, it's not that there's a fight just around the corner. No, you're you only as good as your last performance. And you ha and because of that performance is where you end up, or who you end up fighting. And your pay takes a huge knock, you know. If you lose... You take a huge knock in yeah. your payday. Whereas if you lose playing rugby, you know, those guys are not getting paid less at the end of the month. They're getting paid exactly the same. I think, if I'm not mistaken, like a entry-level Bulls player is like 25,000 rand a month. Like that's his salary. And then obviously there's all sorts of things. And everything else is taken care of. So it's literally spending money for yeah. these guys. Yeah, look, obviously the juniors are making that. Yeah. You know, the, the senior guys... No, it's another level. They're making... And, you know, the senior guys with a Springbok contract... No, it's look, making, but they've, they've won putting, a World Cup and they're probably going to win in France this year. We'll wait and see. You think we can win in France? Definitely. Yeah, look, I'm going to be honest with you. You can never, and that's also one thing I want to say to any South African sportsman. You know, we, especially now, times are tough for all South African sportsmen uh, because of, uh, you know, literally corruption and, you know, there's no money no, now economies. like there used to be yeah. in South African sports. But let me tell you something. South Africans, we can we are the best in the world. We can mix up with anybody at any time. We can beat anybody. We can beat the All Blacks. We can beat Italy. We can beat England. We can beat anybody. And I realized that when I went now to Russia. You know, we go there. We think, you're these Russians are so intense. Everybody paints them out to be these big, bad guys, unfriendly, this, that. L let me tell you, we, we, we beat those guys. And uh, we're better than them. And... Obviously, our infrastructure is not as great as theirs, but, you know, we just make do. Mm. You know, we we very versatile and we're very stubborn and we can just, we're used to this crazy system that is here, but we are the best sportsmen in the world across the board, no matter what you say. Look, our golf is doing well at the moment. Everything, we are, like our sportsmen here are special. Yeah. Um, which leads me to the next thing. Uh, Sean Portgieter, that's the thir 13th. How are you feeling ahead of that one? I don't, I must be honest, I don't know a lot about Sean. Um, but now someone, as you say, you're going into, what's that? This is, will be 18 or 19. 18. 18. You know, like, does it feel like familiar? You know what I'm saying? Because yes. you, 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 you've got a system, you've got a process, and it just changes the name who you're fighting, I suppose. Yeah, 100%. I'm going to be honest with you. Sean's in trouble. Uh... He won't see the end of the fight. Uh, I believe he was ill-managed in taking this fight. I mean, this is his seventh fight, eighth fight. It's my 18th. It's been thrown to the wolf. Yeah, it's not a good thing. Uh, he's a very good guy. He's a friend of mine, actually. Okay. I know him well. We've sparred many times together. Um, and before the fight, actually, a, a mutual friend of ours phoned him and said to him, don't take this fight. They're just setting you up. Don't take the fight against Chris. And obviously, business being business, he took the fight. Um, 
look, uh, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to outclass him mm. completely and uh, I'm going to show why experience is so important on the 13th. Um, but like I said, he is my friend, which is a crazy concept, but I'm coming, I'm really going to come to hurt him. Th th this is my thing. So, so we've seen, obviously, I'm heavily involved in the MMA scene through EFC in South Africa. Um, and obviously, there comes a time when guys from the same gym they're potentially lined up, but they'll never fight each other. But when you are in a in a boxing community which isn't that big, let's be honest, it's not huge in South Africa. It's growing, um, and especially the heavyweight division is tiny. How do you go about taking on someone? Because I imagine that when you step into the ring, it's about business. It's about executing a game plan and getting the job done. At the end of the day, just because that guy is someone you know or you're friends with, doesn't really impact how you go about taking him on because there is mutual respect but at the end of the day you need to finish him to get your next w and to end your two fight slide yeah look obviously when you're in the ring i'm gonna be honest with you the respect goes out the window mm. completely even if you take my last fight with keaton keaton and i have known each other maybe six seven years worked each other worked with each other in the gyms he's trainer peter is a good uh, friend of mine i was trained by uh, peter's brother sean so, you know, we're very close knit in that situation. And the same goes with Sean, you know. Uh, we've sparred with each other. He's been a good friend of mine for also three or four years. We help each other all the time, speak with each other, see each other on weekends, things like that. But when it comes to the business end of things, you know, it's the hurt business, you know. Yeah. And so the, the respect goes out the window and uh, that friendliness goes completely out the window. And yeah, you're trying to hurt each other. And uh, that's the purpose of what we do when we get in the ring. Uh, is we, we trying to inflict as much pain on each other as possible. So, look, the friendship goes out the window. It, it's there up until you're in the ring. Yeah. Um, and the respect was there between me and Keaton in the last fight, and the respect will be there between me and Sean now until we step in the ring. And when we step in the ring, it's business time. That's going down at Empress Palace on the 13th of May. I think there's a few tickets still available. Uh, hopefully we can make our way there. Tyler and I will we'll go and check it out. Um, you know when they say someone throws with bad intentions, is that the case when you fight someone or is that purely because there's a lot of times when there's bad blood that goes into the fight. I'm not saying this is definitely the case with you in your next fight, but there's bad blood. The media loves it. The crowd, it's because it's hype. Um, but when you get into the ring, it's not about throwing with bad intentions or is it about hurting your opponent because you want to stop them? Yeah, bad intentions. <laughs> bad, bad intentions. Okay, so, so that goes without saying. Yeah, bad intentions. Okay. Um, and that's why you, you hear often fighters say sparring and fighting is different. You yeah. know, my intention when I spar you is to get working. My intention when I fight you, my intention is to hurt you. Yeah. And stop you, and derail you, whichever way I need to derail you. So when there's a fight, it is 100% bad, bad, bad okay. intentions. All right. Bad intentions. Um. Talking about your sort of career in, in boxing and, and the way things have developed, what would you like to achieve? You've had the taste of gold. Um, and I think heavyweights, you, you're still a, a fairly young guy. Um, what are you looking to achieve now? Because I imagine there's now it's a case of putting together a run to having another shot. Yeah, of course, you know. Uh, Obviously, uh, not everybody can be a champion. Mm. You know, there's guys that fill it out. And I, I am a champion, and I have been a champion, and I will be a champion once again. Um, I don't go to the gym without those intentions. I carry those intentions with me wherever I go that I 
hold myself to the standards of being a champion. So obviously uh, I'm no longer a champion at the, mo mm. at the moment. I don't have my belts. Obviously I won them and uh, we will win them again. And then I want to move on to, you know, I want to move on to the international scene. I like fighting abroad. Uh, a fight is a fight is a fight. If yeah. you put up a ring in this parking lot or if you put up a ring at Empress Palace or if you put up a ring in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand, what you're doing in there between those ropes, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Uh, a fight is a fight is a fight. So I would like to travel a little bit more. Um, I, w I would like to be the champion again and uh, win other belts in other organizations and see as far as we can go. You know, it's uh, it's a blessing to be in the situation that I am in. And, uh, you know, we're looking to retain those belts and uh, add more to the collection. Share with me, it must feel amazing winning a belt, but it must suck balls to lose a belt or belts. Is it Highest how, because you mentioned earlier, when you lose, you lose alone. Mm. And, and if you're in a sporting team, uh, whoever it is, if it's football, rugby, you know, depending on how it went down, it's a collective loss. Yeah. But in the boxing, and I know you've got a, a great team around you, and, and that's the thing, but they look at you and go, you lost. Yeah, 100%. Not your coach, not the strength and conditioning guy, Ignatius. What? No, you, Chris. Yes, 100%. Your highest highs and lowest lows, eh? Um, when I won my belt, especially as a heavyweight division, as the national and African champion. That sounds so cool. You South know, African and African <laughs> champion. You're the baddest man on the continent. Absolutely. It's th that's just the fact. You know, you're the baddest man on the continent. You're the biggest. You're the baddest man. You have the South African and the African heavyweight title. And man, it, it feels amazing. You know, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I didn't sleep for two days. I could not. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. I had so much adrenaline. I couldn't sleep. Not that I didn't try. Yeah. I physically couldn't sleep. I was just so happy and elated. I couldn't sleep for two days. Then with Keaton, when I lost, yo, man, that's a low, eh? Uh, that's a big-time low. And, uh, you know, when I won the title, everybody backstage. Everyone wants a picture. Everyone wants this. And uh, when I lost, there were only two people in my uh, change room. Boyd Allen, Martin Van Sarden. Two other fighters that have gone through the same thing. I was going to say, the IP alone... With those two guys, they're absolute legends. Big shout out. I'm a huge fan of Boyd and, and Martin. Yeah, look, and I'll be honest with you, not many people understand that feeling, you know, yeah. understand how it feels to have been a champion and have lost. And they understand. And uh, they were the only two people in my change room. Obviously, my wife was there. Yeah. Um, she's there every step of the way. But, you know, in terms of outside people, those are the only two people that actually I firstly allowed and mm -hmm. who actually made the attempt to come backstage into yeah. my locker room and uh it's a feeling that you can't explain you know because you know that yeah like you say you know you have your trainer shannon come up with a great game plan and it, it is a bulletproof game plan you have your strength and conditioning coach and you go through the paces with him and you come into the ring conditioned they've done their job their job is done yeah. you know now it's time for you to execute execute your job and you're fighting in front of millions of people and they see you lose oh my word <laughs> it's hard it's hard you yeah. know you walk into the streets and everybody just knows that you've just lost a fight you know they've seen it on tv they hear about it on the radio in the newspapers it's a tough it's a tough thing to get over you know and it's a tough feeling to process um like i said the highest of highs and the lowest of lows combat sport you know especially because you've 
just beaten another yeah. guy you feel great when you beat up another guy in a fair realm it feels amazing but when somebody else beats you up in a fair realm and you're like you start to think hey is that actually better than me yeah. or like what is the situation you know you got to sit in a quiet room by yourself and process that loss and luckily i had uh, two very good friends by my side that have experienced that as well mm. and uh, they kind of just pick you up they dust you off and you know you, you live to fight another day so there's obviously soul searching that happens off that but at the same time there's a theory that I saw, I can't remember where I saw it, but they said once you become champion, you automatically become 30% better. And, and I, I, I don't know how true that is, but when you, sometimes it takes a loss to make you into a better fighter too. It, so there's two sides to this, but because I imagine that very next time you walk into the gym, you your confidence is low. You know, you're like, I just lost. My belts are gone. How do you put the fire back in that belly? Yo. It's a process, isn't it? How do you put that fire back? You got, you got to be honest with yourself. You yeah. Know? If I'm if I'm being honest with you, you have to say to yourself, is this really what I want to do? Is this for me? Do I really want to put my life and my health on the line for this career in a fighting sport? And uh, if the answer is yes, you actually have to literally forget about that loss and uh, you got to move forward and uh, you got to move forward in your training you got to move forward in your life you got to move forward in social media like when i lost to keaton that same night i made my wife delete all social media i didn't have social media for a, about a month and a half wow. two months after because i didn't want to hear what everybody yeah i'll say there's say a lot of noise yeah but there's only one man in the arena and that was me yeah and uh, so I deleted all social media accounts i deleted facebook instagram twitter the works everything and uh, I just decided to process things myself and ask myself, is this really what you want to do? And if, when, you know, every time I asked myself, the, the answer was undoubtedly yes, you yeah. know? And I got back, uh, I went away and I got back to the gym in January and, and I actually completely forgot about it. It was like uh, the fight didn't happen. Obviously it did, but, uh, you know, my confidence was back. Everyone, when they heard I'm going to Russia, I'm fighting this unbeaten fighter, they were like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. Is he crazy? He just came off, just lost his titles. Like, what is he doing? And I, myself and Shannon sat down and I said to him, bro, listen to me, I'm a world-class, I, I am a world-class fighter. I can go beat this guy uh, in Russia. And look, I believe that's exactly what I did. Obviously, the scorecard showed differently, but if you had watched the fight, you would have watched I put on a good performance. And so I think that's the key is you, you got to, in victory and in loss, you yeah. know, when I, I went lie to you, when I won, I celebrated and I got over it. When I lost, I mourned and I got over it and I got back in the ring. Chris, you, you mentioned you want to go and fight more overseas opponents. Um, we've seen a guy like Kevin Lorena go and, and hats off to him, move up into a weight division where he's not a big heavyweight. We know he's got power, but he's not a big heavyweight by anyone's standards. Um, and he's done an, an incredible job in the cruiserweight division. There's no South Africans at this point who are holding world titles, especially in heavyweights where we have a proud history. I know IBF, I think it's uh, down in the lightweights. Uh, Nonchinga, yeah, he's he's got the title there. But South Africa's produced these heavyweights. Is there sort of this like, I wouldn't say responsibility, but there's almost this expectation Where's the next South African yeah. heavyweight world champion? And, and Kevin went against Dubois. And Dubois, look, we can debate to the end of time 
that first round, the knockdown, whatever. But he took a huge leap of faith and went to Wembley, I mean, to Tottenham and did it. But is that sort of what you are eyeing out too, is that? Because you're obviously a big dude. You seem to be quite comfortable in the heavyweight space. You walk around clearly in that you don't have to go up or whatever. Is that what you're targeting now? You mentioned world class because it takes a lot to get to that, but it also takes a lot of mental toughness to get to that stage. Yeah, look, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, look, Kevin did it, eh? That's the biggest stage in the world. It's huge on a the Tyson biggest. Fury as card. That. Yeah. And uh, he was fought for a WBA, which boxing people won't, anyone who's not a boxing person won't know. That's the oldest organization in boxing, yeah. WBA, World Heavyweight Champion. That's the biggest stage in the world, you know. And uh, obviously there is a pressure, you know, uh, and I'm sure Kevin felt it also. You know, the last great heavyweight was Khadi Kutsia. Yeah. And now there's like this big question mark that's leaning on that division, which, to be honest with you, is the leading division. If we have a heavyweight world champion, I'll be honest with you, we will have more world champions. Yeah. Obviously we only have one at the moment, Nonchinga, the special one. Man, that name suits him to a T. He's special. <laughs> He's in my gym. He's really special. Yeah, he's and, he's, uh, he's going to be defending his world title soon, and uh, I believe I don't know if it's true. I believe it will be in South Africa, which is amazing. Yeah, amazing, a legitimate world title in South Africa. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. That's incredible. But there is definitely a pressure in my performance to be the next, you know, household name. You know, guys, when they talk heavy or when they talk boxing, I want them to mention my name first. Yeah, and. Uh, that is true for any heavyweight. Obviously, you know, Kevin has done amazing. You know, he went there to Tottenham. And people who have never toured don't understand. It's hard, you know. Now it's 10 times harder for him. He's going to Tottenham Stadium, 80,000, 90,000 Brits, yeah. first of all. they boxing mad or sport mad. Everyone cheering for Dubois. You know all those judges are on Dubois' side. Absolutely. The promoters on Dubois' side. That You know, it's hard. That's really hard. And, you know, the last great to do it was Harry. Yeah. And we need another one. Yeah. And, and you so have I the skills. I feel that pressure. Yeah. Yes. And uh, the ambition. Yeah, big time. You know, obviously, I mean, Harry must have been a good 20, 22 years ago yeah. when he was world champion or maybe 15 years ago. So there's been a long gap. And so definitely, like I said to you earlier, us as South Africans, we have the ability but we need somebody to step step up, and and I want to be that guy. Um, as we get towards the end, uh, a few more minutes. You mentioned Martin and and Boyd. Have they ever got you on the mat to do some jits or anything like that? Because I've seen you at the UFC events, and obviously you're a huge MMA fan, combat sports fan. Uh, have they ever got you on the mats? And and what? Tell us a bit more about that relationship. Yeah, look, uh, me me Martin Boyd, we very close. Mm. Uh, my best two Chinas, very good people. Uh, Boyd has actually got me on the Jets match okay. before. Uh, but unfortunately, I have a broken left knee. So oh, I I, the pins in my knee just hurt way too much yeah, and it yeah. blows up. Um, so I have done it. A very difficult sport. Because the knees are in the firing line in Jets. Eh? Yeah, and like they're just like, they're basically like the grip area. Yeah, yeah. And when I've got titanium in my <laughs> knee, it's it's very sore. Sure. Um, so look, respectively, in their fields, I mean, they. They're the best of the best, you know. Uh, I would say Martin is probably the goat of the EFC. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's done it all. He's you been need around. to get him on the show. He's been around. He's coming up to his 40th fight now, you know. That's and mad, I mean, eh? 
they these are the guys that kind of formed the EFC in his formative mm -hmm. days. You know, back at the big top arena, him. I know for a fact that Martin had the biggest turnout the EFC has ever seen when he fought Jeremy and when he knocked Jeremy out. I mean, that was a crazy no, time in Joburg. That was wow. a crazy time in yeah. Joburg. Crazy, crazy time in Johannesburg just because those two guys are fighting. And, uh, you know, I respect what they do a lot. Obviously, yeah. I, to be honest with you, I spar with them like two, three times a week. I even go to their gym at FightFit. Uh, Richie and Norman are very open to me being there. Very good guys, run a good gym. And uh, I spar with uh, them and their team uh, quite often. Uh, and, uh, you know, Mart obviously j just came off a fight in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> what a soldier, man. That guy <laughs> tore his shoulder off yeah. <laughs> 30 seconds into round one and uh, took the guy the distance. Boyd's got a big fight coming up in Japan and Risen. Also now in May, I think the 5th of May or something Brilliant. like that. So, you know... It's very important for me to have friends like that because they understand my mindset, they understand my lifestyle, and uh, they also understand uh, other egotistical people around us mm. trying to incite something. And you know, when you're around like-minded people, we kind of all are on the same page without yeah. saying anything. We don't have to speak to each other, and we're all on the same page. Well, you're all warriors, and I uh, respect you guys immensely for what you do because it's not an easy sport. Uh, if it's boxing, if it's MMA, um, mad respect. I'm just glad I'm on the other side commentating or watching it. Um, but Chris Thompson, thank you so much for your time. Uh, congratulations on, on what you've achieved so far. I know this is just the beginning. There's been a blip in the road. Uh, good luck on the 13th of May. And I've no doubt that we'll see your hand raised. And, and good luck. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Remember to like and subscribe. And of course, I, I know that because you watch this, you have impeccable taste. And you're clearly very, very intelligent. So thank you very much. And we'll see you again soon.